Dr. Jacqueline Duget. Welcome to What is Black podcast that focuses on issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. As a pediatrician and mom of color, I saw the need to create an additional educational platform to reach parents raising kids of color to address issues and challenges that are not always discussed in the pediatrician's office. Thank you for joining us for this week's conversation. Welcome to this episode of What is Black Podcast. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Brandy Colbert. Brandy Colbert is a critically acclaimed author of YA novels, including Stonewall Award winner, Little and Lion, The Revolution of Bertie Randolph, Point, Finding Volume, and the upcoming The Voting Booth. The Only Black Girls in Town is her debut middle grade novel. Her short fiction essays have been published in several critically acclaimed anthologies for young people. Born and raised in Springfield, Missouri, Brandy now lives and writes in Los Angeles. So we'll, we're going to talk with Brandy today about her new novel, The Only Black Girls in Town. Welcome, Brandy, to the episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk with you as well. So this is your first middle grade novel. I was wondering if you could share a little bit, give us a little bit about, um, about your, tell us a little bit about your new book. Absolutely. Um, so The Only Black Girls in Town is a book about, it's kind of self-explanatory somewhat in the title, so that saves me some time. But um, it is about um, a girl named Alberta who is, you know, one of the only black girls, definitely the only black girl in her grade um, and middle school right now in her small beach town in California. And then one day she looks across the street and the for sale sign is gone from the bed and breakfast that has been there for a while. And her dad tells her that there are new neighbors moving in and that they are black. And she just feels like her whole world is about to change because she's never really had black friends before. And also to have one who lives right across the street. So she starts wondering what this girl is going to be like. And they meet and start spending time together and they find some a box of old journals in the bed and breakfast in the attic, and then the story sort of takes off from there. And as we, as we, you know, before we started the interview, I share with you, I really enjoyed this novel. Um, but what, what, I, what I wanted to ask, ask first is that again, you've written many successful YA novels, and I was curious why now, why, why were you interested in writing um, a middle grade novel? Sure. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, I think because these are the books that really spoke to me, um, you know, as a kid, I was really lucky to grow up in a household that had a lot of books around at all times. So I never remember there not being books. And then, you know, when I read all of those that were around the house, then, you know, we went to the library every week or, and, or the bookstore. So books were just always been a really big part of my life. And middle grade novels are the ones that I think about how they sort of, I don't know, they aren't coming of age tales for me necessarily, but just that it's the time I remember being able to read my own books and to really choose what I was reading and look at, you know, the jacket summary and think, Hey, that sounds like something I might like. Um, so it just really kind of felt like a time in my life where there was real agency with reading. Um, but also where I started to really understand, um, some of the issues and viewpoints that, these novels were trying to get across. And it's interesting, I mean, because this book tackles some very heavy topics, but I think in a very age-appropriate way. And even as a parent, I felt like, I think this book would be a great resource even for parents to read alongside their children because of, you know, some of the some of the um, issues that you discuss. Mm, yeah, I never thought about it like that, but I, I could see that. I'm not a parent myself, um, but I think I do have, 
you know, now that I have the adult perspective on that, I'm definitely able to go back and look at some things from my childhood or, you know, that I think about now that kids are going through and, and be able to address it in ways that I wasn't able to, you know, at that age, definitely. Now, it's interesting, you you know, you bring up your childhood experiences and your, you and the character of Birder kind of share one similar experience, right? You were one of very few black kids growing up um, in a predominantly white town. And I was wondering, as an, as an author, was it important for you to, to, that you had this shared experience in order to make Alberta's character relatable to the reader? That is a great question. I, I don't know if I would have been able to write about it the same way, you know, if I didn't have that experience. Um, the idea just came to me really organically. I've, I've always had little trickles of sort of being, you know, one of the only ones um, in most of my books and short stories. But I had never thought exclusively of writing a character like that until one day I just the thought popped into my head. And I texted one of my friends who's been writing middle grade novels for a while. And I was like, has anyone written a story where it's just like the only black girl in town and then another one moves in? And she was like, I haven't read or heard of anything like that. And I was like, cool. And then I just started writing and it just sort of came out. But I think there's definitely some nuance there that you wouldn't understand if you hadn't grown up like that, just the same way I wouldn't understand really what it was like to grow up in an all black neighborhood. You know, I went to an all black church, but that was just once a week. And that was about the only time that I ever really saw other people who looked like me, you know, in mass, especially. Because what I, what I definitely found really relatable to the book is, so I grew up in Washington, D.C., so, you know, separate mm. experience, right? Mm-hmm. But my but my experience being different was being fair-skinned, being biracial, light-skinned, mm-hmm. and a predominantly black family that didn't necessarily reflect me or I didn't see a lot of kids that, that looked like me. But, you know, I was, I was a... I was socialized as a black woman, um, mm-hmm. as a black child. And for me, the, the culture shift was when leaving predominantly black spaces and then going to, as a freshman freshman in high school, I went to a predominantly white school and it was culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the character Alberta, I mean, she's, she's lived in a community where she's, like you said, she's one of the only black kids in the, in the school or even in her neighborhood. But again, I found that really relatable because many kids, right. I think that's, that's, I think that's a true to true to life experience for many kids, either in elementary school or high school or even in college, you go from a place where there you may see see people that are ref- that that look like you to being in a place where you you may not see as many people um, that are as represent represent what you are your experiences. Exactly, and one funny thing um, is that when I started going to therapy, when I lived in Chicago for a few years, and I went to therapy while I was there, I think I was about twenty-eight, and my therapist um, told me she was like, you know, some of the things that you're discussing with me right now remind me of my biracial clients, and I was like, what? Because I had never heard that before. But she was like, yeah, because you know, you sort of had that push and pull. Not to say that I know what it's like to grow up biracial, because I don't, but. You know, she said you have sort of that push and pull of being black, but growing up in a really white community and feeling sort of torn between the two. So I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to get into that a little bit in terms of, you know, I mentioned earlier some of the some of the issues that the book sort of delves into. And again, a very age appropriate way. But again, I think as adults, we can relate to issues such as um, otherness, microaggressions um, and the reality that um our friends, right, many families who, who are non-black 
they don't necessarily those our friends and family members don't necessarily grow up discussing race and privilege and how that may perpetuate racism. Mm -hmm. So there are a few scenes in the book that I think you did such a I mean, again, overall, the book was excellent. But I thought there were some really, really poignant scenes that really captured some of these some of these issues. So I wanted to go to a scene starting on page 19. And mm -hmm. we talked about earlier, I wanted to make sure that I didn't give away too much information. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could um, I have my copy of the book. And I think on page 19, starting, um, I think starting that first paragraph in, from page 19 to 20. Okay, definitely. Um, so I will start out, actually I'll start out on the previous page where her best friend Laramie is talking and she says, Alberta says a new family is moving into the bed and breakfast, and Laramie says, no way. She takes the first bite of her waffle cone with a hearty crunch. Someone's finally moving into the Harris Inn. Yeah, and my dad says they have a daughter our age. They just moved in today. Finally, we'll have someone our age on my street. Well, technically you have Nicolette. Nicolette is the worst person I know. Laramie laughs. Come on, Alberta, the worst? I stare at her. Give me one good reason I should like Nicolette McKee. I don't know. She was just up here with her brother and nanny. I saw them outside, and she said, hey. So just because she said hi to you, she's nice. Laramie sighs. I didn't say that. I just, she's not the worst person I know. Ugh. I hate when Laramie gets like this. Like she's forgotten all the terrible things Nicolette has said to me over the years. I wouldn't forget if someone had said those things to her. Well, the new neighbors are black, I say, getting back to what we're supposed to be talking about. I don't want to think about Nicolette. Nice, Laramie says. Nice? I take a bite of buttered pecan and roll the cool cream around in my mouth until it melts on my tongue. I feel like she should be saying more than nice, but I guess I don't know exactly what I want her to say. I think it's really nice. There definitely aren't any black people on my street. There are barely any at school. What about Rashawn and Noah, Laramie says. She's counting them off on her fingers, which makes me feel weird. You forgot about Deanna, I say after a few moments. Oh, right. And she's going into ninth grade. Exactly. She doesn't even go to our school anymore. Even if she was there, four people isn't a lot. I'm the only black kid in our grade. Laramie looks down at her cone, nodding silently. I guess I never thought about it. You're just you. You're Alberta. You blend in. I don't really think about you being black. I get that same tight feeling in my stomach, like when she was counting names on her fingers. I want to say that, yes, I am Alberta, but being part of Alberta is being black, and I don't blend in here in Ewing Beach. That is something else I know for a fact. Oh, man, I'm getting like goosebumps just thinking about that. <laughs> Because again, it's like for me, this this scene sets up the fact that, you know, so I, in the book, Laramie is is white, and as Alberta says, she's black, and Laramie doesn't necessarily doesn't recognize doesn't see Laramie. I'm sorry, doesn't see Alberta as a black girl. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, okay, that's very, you know, I think that's very common for a lot of kids. And later on in the scene. There's there's this sense that Alberta doesn't want to um, upset Laramie right by by letting her know, well, you know, you kind of hurt me because you don't see me. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, as you wrote this scene. Had you I mean, I'm just wondering, had you thought had you thought about that in terms of setting up the characters, especially Laramie's character sort of being sort of being colorblind in her her friendship with um with alberta definitely um you know laramie is sort of 
the combination of many, many friends I've had, you know, in my life. And especially when I was younger, when I was Alberta's age, you know, I grew up, I was a kid in the eighties and a teenager in the nineties. And so I think that was like peak time of the colorblind phenomenon. Like I don't see color, you know, you're just brandy. And I didn't know at the time that like, I knew it wasn't okay, but I didn't know how to articulate to say like, no, you should see all of me because, you know, being black is part of me. That's it's not a bad thing. It's as if people where I grew up, especially thought that being black was a problem and it was something that you sort of needed to overlook or, you know, let slide when it's like, no, this is my identity. Um, so yeah, this is definitely something that I wanted to draw attention to because I think a lot of people believe they're really doing the right thing and saying that they're colorblind, but it's absolutely not the right thing. So again, I think, you know, this book, because of, because of issues that you, that you brought up, you know, in terms of colorblindness, I think even, again, this, it makes it a universal book because whether or not a child is black or white, Asian or Hispanic, I think there are many times when kids of color do experience this where, mm-hmm. you know, their, their difference is kind of made to be unseen. So therefore they, they're not, they're not fully seen in their, in their full, you know, their full, full identity. Exactly. So there's another scene um, that I also wanted to, to go over and there are examples of microaggressions. So I wanted to go, I think page 122. So I think, it's, mm-hmm. so I think it's the last, just those last two paragraphs that sort of where it's alluded to. Okay. So this is Edie's first day at school. The other black girl has moved in across the street. Um, and it says, Edie looks at me. My English teacher thought it was you. She said, my eyebrows shoot up. Mr. Williams thought you were me. No way. Laramie says, dragging a fry through her little paper cup of ketchup. You don't even look alike. Well, he called me Alberta. Edie shrugs. And when I corrected him, he said he thought I'd done something different with my hair. Oh, yeah, that used to happen to me and Alex Garcia, Oliver says, looking up. I guess two brown kids with G names was too much for them to keep straight. Edie laughs with him, and she doesn't say anything else about it after that, but I can't stop thinking about it for the rest of lunch, just like I can't stop thinking of earlier when the assistant principal thought we were cousins. Oh, my, again, right? I think that happens so, so often. And I love how um, friend Oliver, um, Alberta and Edie's friend Oliver also states that that's happened to him. And so there's a shared experience. And again, Laramie's sort of dumbstruck, like, oh, that happened? And I didn't understand this. So you can you can see that Laramie's starting to process things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think had, had Edie not come, you know, come to live across the street um, from Alberta, I don't even know if Laramie would have really had these opportunities to really kind of start to unravel some of the things that are that are going on between, especially um, Albert, what Alberta is going through with with other kids and in, in, in school. Right. I think it's yeah, she finally sees examples of like, oh, you know, these things maybe you've mentioned to me in passing or, you know, that I've heard you talk about before, like. Not, I don't think that she didn't believe her, but she didn't see it. I've had friends do that, you know, from when I was younger, just like, oh, we didn't understand this thing that you were talking about. And it's like, why didn't you just believe me when I was telling you the first time? So I definitely wanted that moment where she, like you said, she starts to process it. And then also Oliver chiming in. It's like, hey, this happens to other people, too. Like, this is a widespread phenomenon. Like, this is a problem. You know, I wanted her to really start to see that sink in. And I think also was very interesting in terms of the dynamics between the characters that you set up is that I think, like you said, Alberta has mentioned to Laramie before, 
Um, you know, we talked about the earlier scene um, where Nicolette has said some unkind things to her and Laramie is not really getting, not fully understanding that these unkind things are just more than unkind things, right? Mm-hmm. In some ways, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they're very um, dismissive and racist. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Racist things. And it's interesting until... Edie comes into the picture and creates this dynamic where Alberta feels comfortable to really kind of like, you know, take a sigh, like, okay, yeah, I can really, I can really express myself. And then there's someone else to sort of, Edie, um, I just say, I guess Laramie has someone else to sort of be a witness that this is occurring. So I found that very interesting how, how adding Edie, adding Oliver as characters kind of create that opportunity for these conversations to occur. Yeah, definitely. And I think as I've gotten older and because my town was just where I grew up was just really, really white. It wasn't just that there weren't that many black people there. It was like there were not many other races or ethnicities there at all. And um, as I got older, I started making friends and moved away and started making friends from other ethnicities and seeing like, oh, yeah, we go through a lot of the same things and like being able to not relate entirely on everything, but understand there was like a shared experience there um so i find that really valuable to to me you know as a person and then to also put that in a book as an an example i guess yeah and i think what's also nice too is over time in the book you know laramie's character grows right so you have so many so many so many interesting and pivotal characters and i think you've done such a great job of seeing the growth in them because i'm because laramie has her own storyline as well and she experiences her own growth Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a as a young girl, and also in respect to her friendship with Alberta, and I, and again, I wanted to kind of talk talk with you about that as well. How is it that you know, as a writer, you know, how do you what's your process to assure that each of your characters has a has an has a story arc, and not just be this one dimensional character? I mean, because again, she's she's not only a friend; she's an ally. I mean, and, and she, there's so many layers to Laramie, right? in this story I can't give away too much but she's I think she's a wonderful character um in the book as well so again just intrigued in terms of the writing process how do you create those characters yeah I'm, I'm glad you see those layers to Laramie because sometimes I wondered like is, is she too I you know I'm sort of known for writing unlikable characters and I don't actually think that's an insult but I you know I wanted people to see those nuances and that she's not just this one thing um for me, I think it's just been practice. You know, um, this is my fifth book that will be out. And I, I've definitely written some books before where my editor has come back and been like, but why is this character here? You know, and, like they don't really serve a purpose. So I've had to either just, you know, kill my darling, as they say, or work around that or just make them a more full character. So I knew that I didn't want her to come across as one dimensional. Like you said, I wanted her to be this room, this character who has room for growth, but, you know, also has her own things going on. And maybe you understand why she's acting the way she does a little bit. And also like seventh grade is so tumultuous. <laughs> so I just wanted to get in some of that and be like, everything, everybody's going through really hard stuff right now. Like this is seventh grade. This is middle school. We're taking a break from this episode to share information about another podcast that I'd like to listen to generation.mom hosted by moms, Laura Schulte and Jen Rout. Laura and Jen candidly discuss real-life experience as modern-day moms and highlight women who create space for both their individual identity and being a mom. 
The podcast is designed to guide, connect, and support women navigating modern-day motherhood. Stay tuned as What is Black will be featuring them during a bonus episode airing later this month. You can check out Generation.mom anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Instagram at Generation.mom. So the last scene that I wanted to um, to mention in terms of, like again, the progression of characters is actually one of Alberta's dads, um, her dad, Elliot, so and as we talked before the interview, I think the one thing that strikes me as a parent is when your when your kid is when your child is telling you, I'm having problems, right? You know, either someone's talking about my hair or talking about the color of my skin. And as as a parent, you know, you want to do as much as you can to re- reinforce, oh, you, you know, you're you're beautiful, you're smart, you're just as good as them. But then there's a light bulb moment when there's an incident at school or incident that occurs and then you finally you finally it finally sinks in it's not just enough as a parent to say you're good enough right you really have to ask some more probing questions and again for me it's a light bulb moment so especially for her dad ellie so i wanted to i think it's on the scene starts on page 213 so this is alberta and her dad in the car dad's name is elliot elliot says we already know you're good enough the best at camp right talking about her surf camp And her instructor, Irene, at the beginning of the novel had told um, Alberta that she was the best in camp and she tried to whisper it to her, but her enemy, Nicolette, overheard. And so Alberta says, yes, but that's only what Irene said. Everyone gets a trophy, so there's no proof. Elliot tilts his head at me. But if you know it in your heart and your surfing instructor said that's what she thinks, too, why do you need a trophy to prove it? I looked down at my lap. Nicolette told me Irene was only saying that to make me feel better about being different. The stoplight turns green, but Elliot takes a few moments to go. To go, He's just staring at a point over my shoulder for so long that a car finally honks at him to get moving. She said that to you? He asks, finally putting his foot on the gas. Yeah, right after Irene walked away. Elliot looks mad, and he usually tries not to get angry in front of me, so this must be a big deal to him. I'm sorry, Al. She should never have said anything like that to you. She shouldn't even think like that, but he trails off shaking his head. Maybe I'm the one who shouldn't have said anything. I don't want to make Elliot angry, especially not so early in the morning. Neither of us says anything else the rest of the way. Elliot gives me a hug before I get out of the car, carefully holding his travel mug. I'm sorry you have to put up with ridiculous things like that, Al, he says into my dreadlocks. Ridiculous people. You know what she said isn't true, right? I nod as we pull away and start to open the door. Al? I look back at Elliot, whose face is full of concern. I really want to know you hear me when I say Irene didn't tell you that because you're black. She told you that because it's the truth. Okay? I hear you, I say softly. I'm a little embarrassed at how serious he's being. Thanks, Elliot. Oh, man. I have, like, tears welling up in my eyes as as I'm hearing this. Because, you know, I think I've had similar experiences with my sons, right? Again, like, I I know that I knew the issues that they were dealing with in middle school, but you know there were there were there was a moment or moments when like we had these conversations and it was again it was like a light bulb and i and as you as you reread it it's, you know it, it got to me as well it says the light turns green and it's, to me it's almost like that again that's like the light bulb it's a proverbial light bulb mm-hmm. as Elliot's at the at the stop at the stop sign we're at the stoplight and then it turns green and then again there's something that clicks for him it's like oh my god my child needs help (laughs) and he's (laughs) suffering right and it's like she's not being seen she doesn't feel seen and I think for the for the first time not her dad's love her and I know she's being seen by her dad but that's 
that's a pivotal moment for me when the parent it says like I've got you and mm-hmm. I I love that yeah I think that um for her especially you know being raised by two dads and they do love her so much but like I think maybe they don't handle conflict in the same way that, you know, a 12-year-old girl would handle conflict and they've never been 12-year-old girls, so they don't really understand what it feels like to be her. So she's been telling them sort of these things that happen and they listen to her, but they might say something like, you know, it's it's fine or, you know, it'll get better. Just ignore her. Don't listen to ignorant comments. And it's like that can only go so far when someone is taunting you and when that person taunting you, you know, lives across the street and basically has access to you at all times. So, yeah, I really wanted that moment where, you know, you know, your parents listening and when they get it and they remember being 12 or they, you know, they hear you being 12, something like that to really make it click for them. Oh, yeah, I think. You can definitely see in the scene how um, Alberta sees her dad physically changing, right? He's getting mm-hmm. mad, and but he's trying to keep his composure. It's like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> and I know, mm-hmm. my, I know my husband has been there. And exactly. It's kind of, you know, but, and, but there's also like this hurtness, right, as a parent. And I think you did like such a great job of portraying that. Like, okay, that has happened. It's not the exact scene, right, or the real life situation, but we've had my, both my husband and I have had times when it's like, you know, you get so angry, but you want to keep your composure, but at the same time reassure your kid that you know I see you, and you are as great and wonderful as you are. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm, uh, I still oh, get emotional about it. Thank you. So this brings me to my to my next que- my next question. Why why is it important, right, as a writer to to write about black childhood and youth experiences? Why is that important to you to do that? Gosh, I just I think of when I was a kid and you hear this a lot from writers now that we're finally getting more representation, you know, across color lines, racial lines, ethnicities. But, you know, these books weren't around when I was a kid. I don't remember really having any stories with black main characters. Um, people ask when was the first time you saw yourself in a book. And, you know, quite honestly, I think I remember it being like Judy Bloom's book, Iggy's house. And that was just like about a black family who it wasn't even from the black character's point of view. It was about, um, a girl whose best friend moved away and then a black family moved in on the street and they were the first you know, black family to integrate the street. And that actually was my family's experience as well. And we were met with, you know, there were, there were some very nice neighbors who made us feel welcome. And then there were also some very racist neighbors who made us know that we were not welcome there. Um, and that's the first time I saw myself in a book and it's just like, that's not a healthy (laughs) portrayal, you know? Um, so I really want to, just write about kids like me. So they have those, so they see themselves and they know that I'm getting a little like, you know, emotional now. Just know that they're important and that they are seen and heard. I remember growing up and again, this was like the eighties, nineties. And so, you know, there was no like DVR or anything. We're all very much just watching what was on the network. Um, and seeing, you know, commercials and if there was like a black person in one of them, if my mom or dad was out of the room, I would just yell to them like there's a black person on TV, you know, because it just we weren't used to seeing it and just it made you feel whole. And even now, you know, if I'm watching TV and I see a commercial on and it's just like a black family sitting around eating Cheerios, like I'll just get choked up because I'm just like, yes, like we exist. We sit around a breakfast table just like you and we eat Cheerios. Um, and, you know, I got a lot of validation from my parents growing up and 
they definitely, even though we were raised in a predominantly white area, they made sure to let us know that, you know, being black was something that we should be proud of. And they bought me anything that they could get their hands on that was a good representation. So I always had, you know, like the one black Barbie or, or, you know, the black version of whatever doll was out at the time. Um, but you know, I did, I just didn't really, there's nothing they could do about the books that weren't there. And so I just really want kids to know not only that like they matter and to be seen, but to have different versions of us out there. Because when I was growing up, I was made to think being black was one specific thing and that, you know, because I wasn't made necessarily that thing or that other thing, then people were saying like, you aren't black or you aren't black enough or this is too white, you know? So just letting kids know that there is a variety of things you can be. And that doesn't, that isn't dictated by the color of your skin. So I want to go into quick fire questions as I, as I make sure I not so emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my quick fire questions, if you could go anywhere in the world for your next vacation, where would it be? It would be France, actually. I've been thinking a lot about France, um, either Paris or and or, you know, since I'm over there, I think I would have to do everything. So like the south of France, I would love to go see them. Sounds good. <laughs> Brandy, what three words best describe why you love to write? And I will give you a sentence for that. And it's just I love words. OK. And what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? So this is really hard for me to choose. I eat a lot of ice cream. Um, But I think my favorite right now is this. I think it's a local brand, but they may be expanding. It's called Cool House. And they have a flavor called Bananas Foster. And it's just so good. It's just like banana flavored ice cream, but no bananas in it, which (laughs) I prefer. And then like caramel. It's so good. I highly recommend it to everyone. Oh, that sounds good. It's really delicious. And then the last quick fire question is, why do our stories matter? Because there are so many stories out there. And the more we hear about other people's stories, the more empathetic we can be. And then I really think um, the world would just be a much happier, uh, more equitable place. Brandy, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing um, your your wonderful story. And I hope... um, All our listeners will definitely pick up a copy of the book and enjoy Alberta's journey. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I loved talking to you. It was it was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on What is Black podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And for more information about the podcast, our blogs and subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, go to our website at whatisblack.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Until next time, thank you for listening.